Welcome to Our Hen House. This is Marianne Sullivan. And this is Jasmine Singer. And on this week's show, Jasmine will be joined by the incomparable journalist and author and one of our favorite people, Jane Bellas Mitchell. And she's going to be telling us about Unchained TV, which is this TV channel. She founded a TV channel. Like other people, you know, go to the grocery store, Jane fans. TV channels. And even more important than just the channel itself, its latest hit TV show, which is so good. It's called Pig Little Lies. And the billing is, and I'm sure it is correct, the first reality TV series starring pigs. I'm sure it is. Actually, before I recorded with her, I was like, Jane, this is really good. Are you going to try and sell it to network? And she was like, we don't need to partake in a system that exploits animals inherently because of its advertisers. We can just get people to watch it here. So I loved that answer. I love Jane. And afterwards, later that day, she sent me a link to Variety. Variety had covered Pig Little Lies and Unchained TV. Yeah, super cool. So I'm excited. I think you'll really enjoy it. It's also just a really good show. Yeah. I mean, there are some crazy characters. No offense, crazy characters. It's very, very LA. And the pigs are really, really cute. Yeah. By the way, just got back from an experience that I would say was the opposite of LA entirely. Like if you were to think of the opposite of LA... You might think of Vermont. Uh, Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. It's sort of like its own country. You know, it's like you don't feel like you're any, you know, you're in Vermont when you're in Vermont. If I were to like go to sleep and wake up anywhere in Vermont, I'd be like, oh, I'm in Vermont. I don't know. You you might, you actually might be in New Hampshire. (laughs) I guess so. But anyway, my mom lives in Vermont outside of Burlington and I went to visit. My whole family was there. I had this funny encounter with my brother who, if you're an OG listener of our hen house, you might recall I used to refer to on the podcast as my meat eating brother from Kansas. He is still, in fact, those things. But he had this moment where he ordered a steak sandwich and pretty much everyone else at the table ordered something vegan. And later he was talking to Moore and I wasn't there. And he said to her, how did you feel when I ordered that? I mean, he he asked the question, you know, of his own volition, like she did not prompt him. And she was like, well, I can compartmentalize it because I'm waspy. But, you know, Jasmine's very sensitive and probably was thinking about the animal suffering the whole time, which, by the way, I wasn't because I also have to compartmentalize in order to exist in the world. Yeah, we all have to stay alive. Right. But I like that that was said about me and I wasn't in the room because I came back out into the living room and and my brother goes, I'm going to order vegan tonight. And then he like went out of his way to try and find He was like, I want to be forced to order vegan food. It was kind of weird. (laughs) But anyway, such an odd story. But anyway, I did find out that the next day after I had left, he ordered vegan food at a non-vegan restaurant. So maybe... That was the moment. I significantly doubt it, wow. but it, there is definitely rising anxieties going on for him. That is so interesting because I'm not sure that it was anything. I mean, it might be that more was particularly persuasive, but it might also be that, you know, the times are changing. And even Jeremy is a little bit more open to the whole proposition. Right. right. Very interesting. Yeah. And actually, you've had some evidence of late. The times really are changing, haven't you? So... Just before recording this with you, I was doing some research for an upcoming brainstorm that I take part in for Veg News, and I take part in the magazine brainstorm sessions, and and they're on the beginning of 2023, the first issue of 2023 brainstorm. And so I started to just look at forecast reports and what trends will be around come the turn of the year, both in food and fashion and lifestyle. And Marianne, every single list I read, every article, all of it had something vegan in it. And I'm talking about this was like totally mainstream, you know, reports and projections, nothing vegan, no vegan media. They were talking about how faux fur is going to come back. And they were talking about cultivated meat and cultivated protein. And they were talking about how more and more people are going to continue to try vegan recipes. And it was not 
countered with and meat. You know, it was just vegan stuff everywhere I looked. So if, if that's something hopeful for you all to like hold on to and you too, Marianne, if it's something hopeful for you to hold on to, then please do, because it did give me hope. That is extremely hopeful to hang on to. I kind of can't believe it. No, you should try it for yourself. Just randomly start researching things. You'll see it. So what have you been up to while I was in Vermont, aside from feeding my cat? Pretty, pretty much nothing. But I have been keeping up with the news. There was one news thing I wanted to talk about. This is actually not news. It's just a really interesting article about something that is in the news that people have probably heard of, but is going to be a lot more in the news. And that's the Supreme Court case involving Proposition 12 in California, where the meat industry is arguing that it violates the Constitution for California to have any rules about what is sold in California, which is pretty pretty crazy argument, but there we are. This is this article I came across on Forbes, and it's why the California furor over humanely raised pork matters everywhere. This is by one er Errol Schweitzer. And it's a long article. I won't go into the whole thing. It's really good. I mean, I just thought if people want to get prepared for this case, I mean, it hasn't been briefed yet on both sides. The Pork Producers Council has filed their brief and the U.S. government, which one would have hoped would have come out on the side of California, did not. So they filed their brief, too. So I'll just read this one quote from this article and it'll give you an idea of the tone of the article and of how important this is. In an amicus brief, that's a, you know, a friend of the court brief, which is what the federal government is here too, because the the case doesn't actually involve the federal government, it involves the government of California and the pork producers. All right. So in an amicus brief, vastly divorced from public sentiment, U.S. Solicitor General Elizabeth Prelegar stated California, quote, has no legitimate interest in protecting the welfare of animals located outside the state and that voters in pork producing states must determine what constitutes cruel treatment of animals housed in those states, not voters in California who consume them. I mean, that's basically the question. And it's so outrageous. And I can't believe this case is in the Supreme Court. And I can't believe the U.S. government has come out on the side of the pork producers. And on the other hand, I can totally believe it because, you know, that's that's the way things go. Yeah. So, yeah, not quite as much fun as running around Vermont, but, you know, staying on top of the news. And also (laughs) on your recommendation, I watched a TV show. I mean, I watched more than one TV show, but we're only going to talk about one of them. Yeah, I'm sure you did. But I just want to say, so when I got back from Vermont, I sat down super tired. Let me just turn on the TV. So I put on Netflix and I I was like, oh, right. Adam Conover of Adam Ruins Everything has this new show and it's called The G Word with Adam Conover. And the G is for government. So it's all about government. And it's each episode sort of goes into one specific area that the government oversees. And I had no I didn't even look at what the first episode was about. And of course, it's about food or quote unquote food. And I'm not sure I would have chosen to watch it at the time I did. But ultimately, I'm glad I watched it. And if you are going to watch it after you hear us chat about it, just know it gets pretty graphic. But Marianne, why don't you talk a little bit about it? Yeah, I you told me about it and then I really didn't want to watch it. But but I did. And it's not that bad. I mean, it's bad if you if you're not prepared for it, it would be really bad. But I was more prepared for it. And the, the program itself is kind of based on the idea. It's introduced by President Obama, who who I think was one of the producers or the producer. And it's the idea is to look into what government does, since people seem to be so naive about what the government does and both inform people of the good stuff that the government does and also offer some criticism of what the government doesn't do as well. You know, people seem to forget sometimes that a lot of what we use in the world wouldn't exist if it wasn't for the government. So for good and for ill. So Mm -hmm. this, yeah, this is particularly on food, but very particularly on meat. And he actually tours a slaughterhouse, which we don't see any animals being actually killed, but we do see the animals, you know, in these pens. And And it's mostly, there is stuff about the welfare of the animals. And he talks about the USDA inspectors and he interviews these USDA inspectors and they all tell us how they're doing a great job. And the fact is, is if there weren't USDA inspectors, everybody would die from eating meat. So, I mean, it would just be awful. And I mean, it's already awful. It would, it would just, 
be crazy. And so these USDA inspectors assure us that they're doing a great job, but it's clear that he is kind of, you know, concerned. He talks about to this one vet who says she got into veterinary medicine or into this particular line, because why would a person who's a trained veterinarian go into this? My guess would be they can't find another job, but she says it's because she enjoys necropsy. (laughs) So she became a vet because she likes cutting up dead animals. And if there's one thing a slaughterhouse does, it's cut up dead animals. And, you know, there are all these implications that the, the USDA inspectors stop the line if there's any problem. But then but then one gets interviewed and he talks about this card that he pulls out and then somebody else does something. And it doesn't it actually doesn't sound like it's a great job. It sounds like Without them there, it would be even worse. But Adam does ask her, how can we be sure the cows are happy? Which seemed like a completely nonsensical question. Does he think the cows are happy? And he clearly doesn't. And and yeah. at this, I want to say at this point in watching it, I was really mad. I was like, yeah. he's not going to come around. And I was texting you in real time. I was ready to swear off Adam Conover because he, he was low key blowing smoke up everyone's ass like a little bit. Like a little bit of smoke. Yeah, which I guess is good interviewing, but it did turn. It didn't turn far enough, as you can imagine, for me. But then he started talking about how particularly in when it involves pigs, they're they're increasing the line speeds and cutting the number of pork inspectors. So, you know, there is this implication that it's it's not getting better. It's not it's already not great. It's not getting better. It's getting worse. And and then he goes into this whole thing about other kinds of food, like all of the terrible crap foods that are in supermarkets, you know, junk food. And he basically says it's because we have too many commodity crops, you know, like wheat and corn and soybeans that we have to use them all up. And he doesn't really talk about how commodity crops are mostly for animals. In fact, he doesn't mention that at all, which is a little annoying. He talks about the food pyramid and how that was basically a corrupted enterprise. So there's a lot of good in it. There's a lot of good in it. And there, there was nothing gory about, well, I shouldn't say there's nothing gory. You don't see the animals being killed. You see the animals in very, very tight pens before they're, was, they're waiting for slaughter. And then you see the, the carcasses. So the carcasses are pretty gory. And I felt ill after I watched it, which I think is exactly the reaction I would want people to have after watching. Hmm. Yeah, I did too. And I agree. He didn't. It's it's particularly frustrating when people who are so good on so many issues end with a, a half measure. Ultimately, I think that John Oliver is another one. And in fact, John Oliver has admitted that he should be vegan so many times. But it's like, OK, dude. Yeah. Then I actually think when people do that, it gives people who are watching permission to not be vegan. Because he's admitting yeah. this is, you know, and people may be seeing it and say, this is really bad. Maybe I should do something. And he says, this is really bad, but I'm not doing anything about it. So they don't either. That one thing I wonder, though, is sometimes if these people are vegan and they think it's a stronger platform to not talk about it. I don't know. Yeah, no, I that could that, be wishful I, thinking. I, that's valid, too, because you don't want to shut people down right in the beginning. Yeah, well, I mean, I know that it's it is very complicated to navigate around mainstream media, even mainstream media like what Adam Conover and what John Oliver are creating because of the advertisers. And that's one of the reasons that our guest today has decided to create her own media channel and her own outlet. And as she talks about in the interview with me, she did get vegan issues on when she had a CNN HLN show called Issues with Shane Vellas Mitchell. But it was a lot of pulling teeth to make it happen. And then it was ultimately like one small story every now and then, which you and I, when we would watch it, we'd be like jumping up and down, like, how could this be on TV? But ultimately what she's doing with Unchained TV and with this new show is so much more impactful because it's like constant 24-7 streaming. Yeah, well, we just have to get everybody to watch it because it's it's amazing. And I think we should get to that interview because she's amazing. Jane Velas Mitchell is a nationally known TV journalist and best-selling author, winner of four Genesis Awards commendations from the Humane Society of the United States. Most recently, she is the founder and content editor of Unchained TV, a multi-platform social media news outlet that produces original video content on animal rights and the vegan compassionate lifestyle. Jane will be joining Jasmine right after this. 
I'm Miyoko Shinner of Miyoko's Creamery, and today I want to share my love story with you. But first, I want to let you know that you can get 15% off your next order at Miyoko's.com with offer code HENHOUSE15. Growing up, my father and I would travel to faraway places in search of cheese. Ripe cheese, stinky cheese, velvety, soft cheese. It was an obsession we bonded over. Our shared love for cheese took me to France, Italy, and nearby Sonoma. As I got older, my tastes remained the same, but my values changed. I became a true lover of animals, not as ingredients, but as living beings. In those days, there was no way to satisfy both my palate and my soul, so I started making cheese myself by culturing plant milks instead of animal milks. Through trial and many errors, through the noise of naysayers and through a commitment to compassion and craft, I made something I love, and I'm here to share it with you for you to share with your loved ones. At Miyoko's Creamery, we craft the finest plant milk dairy products in the world, right here in the heart of California's famed wine region, Sonoma. Through our craft, plant milk, cheese, and butter, we honor traditional dairy-making methods while finding novel ingredients with nature's bounty. The food we make is made of love for the planet, for all living beings, and for you. With love, Miyoko. 15% off your next order at Miyoko's.com with offer code HENHOUSE15. Welcome back to our HENHOUSE, Jane. Woo! I'm so glad to be here, Jasmine. I'm so excited to talk with you. It's hard for me to not just want to catch up, though, because I miss you so much. And I am excited to talk about what's going on with Unchained TV and this incredible new show of yours. But I also just want to know what's going on in your life. So we'll have to plan a catch up soon outside. For sure. For sure. So first, Jane, just explain for those who aren't yet familiar what Unchained TV is and where people can find it. Well, Unchained TV, one word, is a global streaming network, and it is available globally 100% for free. It is super easy to download. You can download it on your phone. If you have an iPhone, you just go to your app store and write in Unchained TV, one word. You don't need to put your email in. Same thing with Android phone. Just go to Google Play Store, download it. Now, you can also get it if you have an Apple TV device on your television. So just type it into your Apple TV device. Ditto for Amazon Fire Stick. Ditto for your Roku device. And if you have a Samsung or LG Smart TV, there's a search that says streaming channels. You just type it in there and voila, it is on your TV, just like HBO, Max, or Showtime. Essentially, it's the same technology. While they have spent billions of dollars creating their apps, we did ours for tens of thousands of dollars. And one of the reasons is that we're not doing multi-billion dollar shows and paying people millions of dollars to act in them. We're using the creativity, ingenuity, and content of vegan and animal rights content creators. However... If you think about it, most of the major networks have been made by one hit show, whether it's House of Cards or The Morning Show. Usually they're put on the map by one hit show. So we knew we needed to do some original content to get people in the tent. And that's why we came up with the world's first reality show starring a family of pigs, Pig Little Lies. Which is the best name of any show on Unchained TV or network, whatever. And I want to get to that in a second because I'm obsessed with the show. But I want to first go back. I want to ask you, is this right? Did I read this right? You recently surpassed your one millionth view. Is is Unchained already exceeding your expectations? Totally. In fact, we got more views than an unnamed major network recently, which then shut down. And here's the thing, streaming device users, okay, they're all over the world. They've paid 25 bucks for a little device and they wanna watch TV for free, okay? That is the number one search term for all streaming device users, whether it's Amazon Fire Stick or Apple TV device or the Roku device. Unless you're offering them something that costs millions of dollars to produce, like Succession, that involves exotic islands, mansions, and jets, and helicopters, you really 
people don't want to pay, right? Do you want to pay? So we're offering it 100% free and making it very easy because a lot of the free platforms still ask you to put your email in. They try to get information. We're not doing any of that. We want to make it as easy as possible. And our aim is to hit the non-vegan audience. So we are a 501c3 nonprofit. I do not take a salary. This is simply a mission that I've had all my life because I spent 40 years in mainstream media working in national cable news. I had my own show on CNN headline news in syndicated news. I worked at Celebrity Justice. I worked in local news at WCBS TV and KCAL TV in Los Angeles. And it was always very hard for me to get anything about animal rights and veganism, the most important issues of our time that offer the solution to the biggest problems we have societally, globally. Good luck getting the ability to talk. And it was so frustrating being right there and then having to just by hook or by crook, get these stories out there and then getting the blowback and getting the unpopularity and the ridicule and the condescension. And I finally said, screw this. Let's take the power back. Instead of asking for permission, if I had a nickel for every single filmmaker or TV show, cooking show, wannabe producer who tells me, I've got a sizzle, I've got a cooking show, I'm going to pitch the Food Network, I'm going to pitch Amazon Prime, I'm going to pitch Netflix. Yes, there are some people who get on there, like Kip Anderson, but the vast majority of people end up either not producing the content or just showing it in film festivals to family and friends who are already vegan or just not making it or making it and not having an audience. And our whole mission is to get to non-vegan audience. We want to get out of the vegan bubble. So what we raise funds for primarily is to place ads. So we have an ad right now for Amazon Fire Stick users to download our app. And that has been very successful. These are people all over the world. It's not just here in the United States and Canada and England. It's also Istanbul and Rio de Janeiro and Argentina and Vietnam. And when I see some of the places where people are watching this, it blows my mind. The potential audience is in literally the billions because everybody's switching to streaming. So we're getting in on the ground floor. And, uh, That's our strategy. Well, I really think you broke the glass ceiling here, Jane. I mean, and I do want to give credit where credit is due that even though it was super hard to get these issues onto the cable networks, you did accomplish it. But now you have taken that and it has basically exploded with Unchained. I absolutely love Pig Little Lies. This show features so many stars, but I do want to focus on Dante and Beatrice. So tell us, the story of when you first heard about them. Well, what happened was we started to see, we have more than 600 videos on Unchained TV, serious documentaries like Earthlings and Dominion and Vegucated and Countdown to Year Zero and fun cooking shows from great celebrities and chefs from Chef AJ, from Wicked Kitchen, music mm-hmm. videos, travelogues, and even our hen house has their own talk show. But we started to see that, hey, a lot of this is serious stuff. So if you're a non-vegan and you're popping on here, are you going to, after a hard days of work, want to have a serious lecture about why the world's falling apart? No, you want entertainment. So we realized we have to get people in the tent first. So I thought, what's a great format? that people enjoy reality TV. So I called my one of my best friends, Simone Reyes, and I was like, Simone, listen, we need to do a reality show. You've been on reality shows before. Uh, you got to help us. She goes, I can't talk right now. I'm trying to rescue two pigs who are scheduled to die in a high kill shelter, and they've only got a couple of hours to get out. I said, oh my God, that's our reality show. Yeah, no kidding. That's incredible. Simone was on our head house many years ago when she was working on the reality show she used to be involved with. And I like that story kind of unfolds in real time on Pig Little Lies. So what happens from there? You're on the phone with Simone. She's dealing with a pig situation. Is it common for pigs to end up in the shelter in Los Angeles? Well, we uncovered a horrific, horrific thing that's going on is that breeders 
are breeding potbellied pigs. And then they take the babies who are beyond adorable and they claim that they're teacup or mini pigs and they sell them as fully grown when in fact they're just babies and they're going to grow very rapidly to be 90 100 150 pounds and so what happens is well-meaning presumably people oh how cute and sometimes they're paying thousands of dollars for these micro or teacup pigs they get them and they bring them to their apartment or their small home and all of a sudden they start realizing This pig is a baby and growing. Meanwhile, the breeder has vanished. So when they get to be 100 pounds, what happens? They get dumped at a shelter and then euthanized because it's very hard to adopt out these animals. When we made the commitment to participate with Simone to get the animals out, Unchained TV raised funds. We got a philanthropist who's featured in the TV show to donate several thousand dollars to have the Unchained TV Foster Center, because the other thing that we realized very quickly is that, yeah, okay, we're going to get this pig out. Where do we take the pig? You, Because of zoning, there is, it's hard to find a place to go with not, not to mention one pig, two pigs, a bonded pair, which means they love each other. So we saw the love story here. When when you hear about a bonded pair, that means two animals who love each other, just like people love each other, just like couples love each other. Dante and Beatrice, named after the famous poem, Dante's Inferno. It's one of the classic love stories of all time. So we spent, we raised money and we spent money to build, I mean, We ordered it on Wayfair. We got it delivered. And then it was still too cold. And then we had to have volunteers come and build a house within a house. Then our producer, who's an Emmy-winning producer, who also produced our cooking shows, which also won awards, New Day, New Chef, he actually just donated himself solar panels and a whole solar system, which he installed a solar heating system because it was cold at night for these pigs. They don't have fur, these little piggies. So tell us about that struggle and where they finally ended up and how they somehow turned into a whole lot of pigs. Because you're saying two, but it wasn't two ultimately. Well, we got the pigs out. We found transportation. And when I say we, it was Simone Reyes. There is a woman named Terry down in San Diego. In fact, I still have two awards for her to give her because she was very instrumental. We found this lovely woman, Cindy Brady, who is a wildlife rehabber who had an area, literally a laundry room in her home where she said Beatrice could go and then a little pen area, not very small, nice little space for Dante. And at first they were separated because as soon as we got them out, we found out Beatrice was pregnant. And that was a shocking development. We were honestly like, oh my God, what do we do now? Not only was she pregnant, she was pregnant with 13 pigs. I mean, oh my God, it was, it was a yeah, I don't even understand. Like, that's a real plot twist. And and meanwhile, you have a volunteer who has taken them in to what, her her laundry room? The mother went to the laundry room, and that's where she stayed. The papa had to be separated because you, you don't want two animals in a small space when one is pregnant. You, you've got to give her a safe space to rest, right? And pigs are big, and they move around, so she had to be separated. And It's very emotional as she went into labor and these adorable babies come out. Now, is this just entertainment? No. The idea is for non-vegans to see this and bond with these animals and realize, oh my gosh, look at their quirks. Look at their love for each other. Look Look at their desire to be with their families. Look at their fear when they're even transported from point A to point B. That's one of the episode three. We have to move the mama and the babies from the laundry room to the front where there's a nice yard with a pool and everything, like a little wading pool, everything waiting for them. Well, good luck. It took us four hours at least. (laughs) And the drama, I'm telling you, it's not made up. We, We, I had this vision that we'd go, Woo-hoo, come on, let's go, let's go. 
No, they go wherever they want. They're like cats. They, they're not going to listen to you. And it was cute, but it was really nerve wracking because they can squeal too. Oh, I'm sure. And, you know, one thing that I think our listeners are probably wondering is, is, is this going to show graphic footage? And I know that so many shows about animals are sad and some are heartwarming, as is this one. But this one is also at times hilariously funny. Like, why is it important to have animal media that makes people laugh? Because they watch it. Whereas if you just lecture and finger wag, I mean, if we don't have fun stuff, people are going to stumble on our on our network and go, wow, I just walked into a crazy cult. Because that's how people view veganism. We're trying to normalize veganism. Why is it that the bad guys are so good at creating all this wonderful content that makes eating animals look so appetizing? We have to use some of those techniques. Being earnest is not enough. We are dealing with high level, the top manipulators in the world work in advertising. I've heard them at work, okay? I come from an advertising background. My dad was uh, the president of an advertising agency on Madison Avenue. I grew up in the advertising world. Does anybody ever ask, is this product good? Should we be promoting it? No. You get the account and then you do whatever you can to associate this particular product with family values, upward mobility, patriotism, keeping up with the Joneses, sex appeal. uh, I mean, status. And it's insidious. Well, we have to use certain clever techniques to get people to see our side of the story. We can't just be earnest. Being right is not enough. In addition to introducing people to these pigs who are total characters, you're also introducing them to the wonderful, wacky, sometimes weird world of animal rescuers. Let's face it, it's not the pigs who are just the quirky ones. As you yourself acknowledge, everyone on this show is a bit of a character in the best sense of that word. Is that an important part of this story? Yes, because we have fun. And it was wild when a healer came who's a good friend of mine. And she also happens to own a recording company. She's a very successful person, but she's involved in doing sound baths and healing, Melissa Breslow. And she led us in a healing ceremony because the pigs were quite high strung after being moved from point A to point B. We wanted to calm everything down. And so she led all the volunteers in a healing ceremony. And it is kooky, but it worked. Everything chilled out and all of a sudden we turned around and the pigs were bathing in their little wading pool and having a good old time. Oh my God. I love that so much. I could have used that healer when I was relocated. Well, I'm using the passive voice. I guess I wasn't relocated. I relocated myself. Okay. So I'm only three episodes in and there's already been a lot of drama. So without giving away any spoilers, can you give us some hints about what's been happening or what's to come? Well, uh, surgery, and that's a serious part, but again, this is a heartwarming story. And the truth is that it is extremely expensive to take care of these animals because if they're not spayed and neutered, they have more, just like cats and dogs. And so all of this costs a lot of money, which is why what these breeders are doing is so wildly irresponsible. They are literally breeding animals who are destined to die because it's a scam. And we have talked, Simone Reyes, who is the vegan country singer, who is one of the stars of this, the human stars, and she's been in other reality shows in the past, but she's also vice president of social compassion and legislation communications. And we've been talking about, we need legislation to stop these breeders. This is happening all over the country where people who think they're getting a little tiny micro pig are getting just a baby pig. There is no teacup tiny pig that stays the size of a football. And so we need to we need to have some laws to prevent this from continuing. And they're being sold on, you know, various platforms. It's an abomination. And so this will inform people 
for certainly, but then we could follow it up maybe with some legislation. I don't know. Uh, yeah, that was going to be my next question. Like, is there a campaign element to this? And obviously, I know that the media that you create is activism. But what about when people are hearing this story right now and they want to get involved, whether it's people listening to our henhouse right now or people who tune into the show? How can people get involved in helping this situation, maybe these pigs or similar situations? Well, The woman who rescued these pigs had a wildlife rehab operation where she rescued squirrels and raccoons. And uh, I don't know exactly which animals. I don't want to get her in trouble because there's a lot of laws. But I know she does some wildlife rehab with a squirrel. Let's put it that way. But it wasn't a formal thing. Well, as a result of taking these pigs in, she's now created an official 501c3 nonprofit. Okay, so we're getting that paperwork together. In fact, we just published a story. We're about to publish a story about her efforts. She's in the process. So we're hoping that each one of these baby pigs, some of them have been fostered out to great homes. I mean, she can't keep 15 pigs. That's asking a lot for somebody. So while we want to keep the animals together, there were certain people who came forward and said, I have a perfect place and those pigs are very happy. And we feature them on the show as it happens. So everybody is doing great. Everybody's happy. These are happy animals. I mean, Let's put it this way. Oh, word only that every pig have such an outcome, right? Because pigs are being killed by the billions. Right now, as we speak, they're being trucked to slaughterhouses and massacred and terrified baby pigs, six months old. And we do show that on Unchained TV, but that's not all we show. If that's if that were all we'd show, nobody'd watch, right? How hard it is to get somebody to go to a vigil? I mean, I had a couple who claimed they wanted to go. And at the last minute, my husband can't go because he thinks he'll get sick. Well, well, I hope if he doesn't have the courage to go to watch a vigil, he shouldn't then feel entitled to eat these animals. But that isn't always working. We've got to use every technology and every approach, right? It spokes in the wheel. So I think psychiatrists will tell you when people connect the dots on their own, it sticks. So let these people watch this and connect the dots. And hopefully when somebody hands them a hot dog, they go, oh, I I can't, I can't take that ride. Okay. I want to zero out a little bit on Unchained TV. You gave us a little bit of a glimpse of what type of programming you have. And you mentioned that you are first and foremost a news person, you're a newswoman. So how do you cover the news on Unchained TV and what types of stories do you cover? Yeah, well, we do stories all the time. And a lot of times they're sent to us like Donnie Moss of their turn just did a Nike protest because Nike has kangaroo leather in its soccer shoes. And it's become a global scandal because so many wild animals are being killed and they have the babies in the pouches. It's it's abominable. I mean, it's the 21st century. We don't need to be killing kangaroos for soccer shoes. So he did a big protest. In fact, when I get off this call. I'm going to upload that video. So we get videos from people. I have a meeting today at three o'clock with somebody in Australia who covered the live export demonstration and their video, which they're going to upload. So again, while a network, a news network would have to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars flying people or having special reporters in these various locales, we're talking to people who are there, who shoot this, the democratization of media. Everybody with a cell phone has a potential network. Now, I just got the iPhone 13 Pro Max because they have the cinematic version that you can use when you're shooting. And it's better than some high quality, ginormous cameras. So people can go out and create this content and put it on Unchained TV. And so that's one way we're doing it. We had... When I first started it, I was like, you get a show, you get a show, you get a show. (laughs) Then I realized it was a learning experience. Zoom doesn't work that well. People want to have an experience of watching a network and Zoom takes it sort of in the YouTube direction. So we had to ixnay on the YouTubes. 
So that was um, a learning experience, but we did it pretty quickly and we're kind of eliminating those videos. Now, occasionally when I get a chance to interview, the other day I went to an event where New York City Mayor Eric Adams was speaking here in LA and I literally whipped out my phone and I shot it, but I wasn't doing it on Zoom. I got him speaking on camera. He talked about his health journey, how he was going blind. He was terribly sick and in desperation. Somebody said, go vegan. He did. And it reversed all of his illnesses. And he's actually plant-based. He's not 100% vegan all the time because he said he occasionally has fish, but he says he's, you know, pretty much like 99% vegan. And he's, he really speaks passionately about it. And he's brought the vegan Fridays into the public schools. So I have that up there and the quality is good. So it's like that. We grab it whenever we can. And then there's the original content. It's not just Pig Little Eyes. We have plans for, I don't want to jinx it, but uh, there's a, a chicken who uh, lives in a home with three people who pretty much rules the entire place, including several dogs. We are, I don't know if you know the filmmaker Bobby Sud, but he has agreed to go videotape that family. And they are hopefully going to put another little series together on that. Chicken little eyes. Okay, it doesn't have as big of a ring to it, but maybe you could call it like ruling the roost or something. I love that. That is so exciting. So I want to talk about something that I know both of us care a lot about, and it's a very important focus for you, which is climate change, both what's happening and helping people find the ways to fight it, such as going vegan. On a scale of one to 10, how freaked out are you about climate? Totally freaked out. I'm, I mean, I went to the valley. I happen to live at the beach, but where it's usually 10, 15 degrees cooler. I went to the valley yesterday to have a meeting with somebody about a possible show. It was a great meeting and it's another possible original series that is very exciting, but it was so hot. I mean, I literally came home and had to take a nap because it was like baking. I felt like I was baking. Imagine what it's like in Arizona. I have friends who live in Palm Springs and they have to come to LA for the summertime because they, they literally say they can't, your dogs are walking and they can't stay on the cement because their paws are bouncing off from the heat. See, it's not theoretical anymore. It's happening in real time. We also continue to do a podcast, Voice America Radio. We had a water expert on, Thomas Schumann. And he said, you know how people are going to go vegan? They're going to have to choose between a hamburger and a glass of water because people can only survive a few hours without water. Like right after oxygen, water is the next thing. And because of climate change, he said, People use the term drought, but it's really aridification, where it's a state of permanent drought. And this is happening in parts of the world, all over the world. And while he is not a vegan advocate per se, he's a water advocate. And honestly, I don't even know if he's vegan. I know he's very vegan friendly, but he was talking about the extraordinary amount of water that the animal agriculture industry uses. And so there is so much water that is used to make a hamburger or a piece of steak. And then additionally, the animals are polluting the water. So you have that situation as well. It's a crisis. I went with, again, Simone Reyes a couple of years ago when there were the Malibu fires. We went there to help some people who were concerned about their animals up there and we were literally surrounded by flame and the palm trees were up in flames. I put the scene in Countdown to Year Zero, our documentary, which is also available on Unchained TV, Countdown to Year Zero. It's won numerous awards. We won like um, 16 awards and we were official selection in like 26 uh, film festivals and growing. But the point is that when you're surrounded by flames and you're looking and literally a stone's throw away, an entire palm tree is in flames, it's not hypothetical anymore. It's like, holy bleep, we are in trouble. And I said to Simone, 
I'm making an executive decision. I'm behind the wheel. We're getting the hell out of here. And I turned the car away and around and I just shot out of Pacific Coast Highway because we could have died. And this is happening not in some remote place. This is happening in Malibu. I mean, homes are going up. Yeah, it's really hard to wrap your head around. And I guess my last question for you before bonus, Jane, is do you have hope? I mean, you've, you've seen... You've seen so much in your career, in your life. You've seen climate change being talked about in a theoretical, faraway kind of way. And then you've seen it emerge. Do you have hope? And if so, how do you get it? Here's my hope. I went to the Vegan Women's Summit, okay? Because I come from a protest background in the sense of I was a journalist, but as soon as I was unchained, because when you're a reporter, you can't go and participate in protests. You're supposed to remain objective. So that's how I came up with the unchained. But of course, obviously it applies to unchaining your mind, unchaining animals. And I would go to protests and I started seeing that, hey, what's the point of having a protest if it's you know 12 degrees out and nobody's watching and you haven't documented it? So that was the genesis of this whole network almost 10 years ago now. Anyway, protests are great and keep protesting. And I love PETA and I love all these organizations. However, when I went to the Vegan Women's Summit in downtown LA and I saw 800 high-powered business women from around the world who are literally looking at this as a business opportunity and they are coming up with cell-based meat and get this, cell-based, human-based breast milk, because one of the things that you have to realize about the animal agriculture industry, there are a lot of things propping it up. Baby formula is propping up the, the animal agriculture industry. Dog food, America, American dogs, according to some reports, would be like the fifth largest meat-eating country in the world, something crazy like that. I may be off, but it's a lot. So if we start with cell-based, and I've interviewed Ryan Bethencourt of Wild Earth, who's our corporate sponsor. Wild Earth is our corporate sponsor for 2022. They're the vegan dog food, but they're also investing and working on cell-based meat. So now there's been some controversy, and I know some vegans are not in favor of cell-based meat, but I'm sorry. We all have those people in our families even who are militant meat eaters. You can talk to them till you're blue in the face. And, you know, I can walk around my neighborhood and see the barbecues going all summer long and then see the ambulances pulling up and taking people away who've had heart attacks, talking to people and telling them the logic isn't working. So first we gave them and we're giving them all these plant-based alternatives that taste like the real thing. And some of them say, no, I need my meat. It's a choice. Well, first of all, everything's a choice. Driving the wrong way down the freeway is a choice. A person, It's not just a personal choice. But nonetheless, for those people who will not listen to logic, now there is cell-based meat. You can have your meat if that's what you want. It just doesn't come from an animal. And now some, I even had like a little dust up with somebody who was arguing with me and I love to debate. So that was great. And we hugged afterward, but we had a dust up where she's like, still involves animals and blah, 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 blah. I said, you know what? As Gene Bauer says, whatever causes the least suffering, they are going to have literally libraries of the cells that make up certain body parts in other words, there it's not like a constant use of animals once this is my understanding, and I'm not I'm not a scientist. You know, I checked out on math when it when we hit logarithms. But <laughs> what they explained to me is that it's getting more and more sophisticated, and they're getting basically the molecular, cellular, genetic markups, and they create a library. So they take this chip, they put it in a vat. And suddenly they're fermenting ginormous, ginormous vats, just like beer, of this particular thing, whether it's the chicken breast or whatever. And because all animals come down to certain basic components like heme and water and blah, 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 there's very few of them. So basically we give people their meat, their pound of flesh, but animals don't have to die. 
that to me is the solution. It's going to happen. And the last thing I'll say is that there are predictions that when it starts being produced at scale, it will be cheaper than even the heavily subsidized meat and dairy. And it's going to be like the cost of sugar water. And that is going to be the big game changer. Well, that's all very hopeful. I completely agree with you that the hope lies in the entrepreneurs and the hope lies in the cell-grown meat. So it's unchained TV for people who are currently downloading it. I like to watch it on my phone, by the way. I also have it on my on my TV, but I like to watch it on my phone when I get out of the shower. I prop my phone up against the sink. It's like my daily thing that I do. And I'm like, what's going on on Unchained right now? It's a great, easy way to just stay on top of what's going on. There's a lot of entertainment value as well, if that's your thing. There's a lot of food programming for people who are interested in that. And uh, Jane, thank you so very much. I am just constantly, endlessly inspired by you. And I love you. And I'm so glad that you joined us today at our hen house again. I love you. I love what you do. And thank you. You're always so generous. And you've helped me so many times. And I, I so appreciate you. Jasmine. Greetings, listeners. Just a reminder that if you are a Flock member, you will get a link to the bonus segment in your email on the Tuesday after this podcast episode goes up, or you can always find it on the Flock Facebook group. And if you're not a member of the Flock and you can afford it, you can join for $10 a month or $100 a year at ourhenhouse.org slash donate. Also, if you are a Flock member, please join us for our Flock First Friday Zoom calls, which are once a month on the first Friday of the month at 4 p.m. Eastern, where we have inspiring guests and great conversations about activism and animals and life in general. So if you're a member of the Flock, check out that Flock Facebook group for updates or write to us at info at ourhenhouse.org. And if you write to info at ourhenhouse.org, you can also set up a one-on-one conversation with me too, which I hope you do because I always have a lot of fun and I want you to also. And thanks so much for joining us in our mission to change the world for animals. Bye. Anxieties are rising. Our first story is from meetingplace.com from the Meet Your Markets column by Mac Graves. No gas, no squeegee. And he's referring to an ad, which you may have seen on TV, which is for a hybrid car from Hyundai. And and the attendant at the gas station won't let the person use their squeegee because they need so little gas. And he thinks it's a metaphor for the meat industry. And the reason should entertain you The attendant's insistence on trying use of what his customer does need, a squeegee, to something he doesn't, gas, portends his station's demise. Are we in the meat industry, the gas station attendant, or the car company? And he's a little fearful that they are the gas station attendant because they do not keep up with the times. And he points out that a subtle change is occurring, I don't think it's that subtle, with plant and cell-based meats becoming, oh, he puts meats in quotes, of course, becoming realities. And he's not worried that the meat industry is going to to die, but he does think, unfortunately, it is a dying industry, isn't it? But he is concerned about marketing. How we market meat may need some changes. The consumer is our final arbiter, and what we in the meat and poultry industry must respond to are the needs of those who buy our products. And he points out that saying things like beef, it's what for dinner, just that doesn't work anymore because there's, you know, there's plenty of other stuff for dinner. And purchase motivation have changed. How our industry uses the inputs of land, water, and human resources has begun to enter the minds of consumers and influence their purchase decisions. Notice he doesn't mention animal welfare, even though they are extremely concerned about what's coming out, about people finding out about animal welfare, and and they just don't like to say it. I mean, I know a lot of people don't seem to care, but they're pretty worried about it. But anyway, not worried enough to say, talk about it, but they do acknowledge that, that environmental issues now are, they're, they're relevant to consumers and they should have to address them. And in their advertising, not just take people for granted. While climate change may be argued ad nauseum, he says, to deny it is foolish. Well, good for you, Mac. We should embrace it as fact and contribute to its reversal. 
<laughs> okay, good luck with that. Because the only way that you can convince people you're doing that is to lie to them. Oh, if only it would all come true. They really are in so much trouble and they know they're in trouble, but somehow people just don't ever seem to see it. Well, let's keep our fingers crossed. California's Prop 12 could impact entire livestock industry. Well, no shit. This is from 95.3 MNC. And I think that is related to the Hoosier Ag News. Or they got this article from the Hoosier Ag News. Anyway, it's, it's industry propaganda for sure. And they're talking, of course, about the case heading up to the Supreme Court, which is really terrifying, which is testing the constitutionality of under the Dormant Commerce Clause of, of California's Prop 12, which creates, you know, certain rules for products sold in California that come from certain animals, pigs, field calves, and laying hens. And, and it, it, it sets some very minimal standards for how those animals should be treated. If the meat, if their flesh and products are going to be sold in California, the rules will apply, this article points out, to products produced outside of California's borders. And agriculture and livestock groups have concerns regarding what the law means for the future. They act like this is a huge shock that, that a state could, could set any terms regarding any product that is imported to that state, which is not to say that I'm not worried about this case. I'm extremely worried about this case. But in, you know, in normal world, I don't think this case would be a big problem, but we don't live in normal world anymore. All right, so they have a lovely quotes from Hannah Thompson Weeman, our favorite, the new president and CEO of the Animal Agriculture Alliance. And she asks, is it fair to producers to be regulated by citizens who live in a completely different state? Well, no, that would be in violation of the Dormant Commerce Clause if that's all that was happening here. But we're kind of ignoring the, you know, the big factor there, Hannah, that they're going to be selling those products in the state where those citizens live. Proposition 12, this article points out, is mostly about pork, but the concept has an impact on everyone in animal agriculture. Well, that is the truth. And I guess that's though the pork people seem to be the most, you know, the, the battery cage folks have always seemed to be much more willing if they can get the entire industry to move away from battery cages to let that happen. I'm not saying, you know, that that's, that's one. <laughs> We're far from winning that. But the pork people, I mean, you got to believe that they just cannot deal with these animals unless they cage them in these tiny little cages because they really do not want to give it up. And it looks terrible and it's coming out and there's more knowledge about it, but they won't give it up. They're going to great lengths to hold on to it. Then they talk about the wonderful, wonderful, or as Hannah puts it, outlandish ballot initiatives in Colorado and in Oregon. The one in Oregon has been postponed till the next election cycle. The one in Colorado was defeated in the courts. And she's worried. Uh, you know, the one in Colorado would have, as she puts it, redefined certain production practices as sexual assault of an animal. Well, yeah, <laughs> I don't think you have to redefine them. That's what they are. And would have established a minimum lifespan that animals had to live before they could be processed. Processed meaning killed, of course. Yeah, that, that's the kind of thing that can appeal to regular people. And the industry is like, well, oh my God, that would put us out of business. And that's what makes us happy. And also the Oregon, which she, as she puts it, would have redefined any processing of an animal as cruelty. And she's really worried about them. They don't really have anything to do with this case, <laughs> I don't think. But I guess the Colorado one, but the, the Oregon ballot initiative really doesn't have anything to do with importing products into Oregon. Just has to do with what could happen in Oregon. Anyway, she's worried about it all. And anything that worries Hannah is good news to me. Weeman says, she concludes, that at the end of the day, if we are using animals for any purpose, well, already she's lost me. If we are using animals for any purpose, including for food, those groups that she's referring to us, don't believe there is any way for that to be done ethically and responsibly, and they are advocating for animal agriculture and any use of animals to be completely ended. Well, hallelujah. You get me. Hannah, you see me. All right, finally, this ridiculous article from the Daily Mail in the UK and it's about it's the nutrition thing again and maybe I'm harp maybe I harp on it too much but it's just so annoying now this, this is the title of this article 
it's not just vegan cheese that's got no nutritional value. Now, that would be a good article, pointing out that it's not just vegan cheese, it's all cheese. But actually, I think the way you're supposed to read this headline is, it's not just vegan cheese that's got no nutritional value. <laughs> it's all the other vegan things, too. Emphasis makes a difference. And this points out that while advocates, that would be us, wax lyrical about the health benefits of cutting out animal products, experts are increasingly warning about the dearth of nutrients in many vegan items. Actually, when I said that would be us, that's not us. I think that almost all vegan advocacy on behalf of the food points out that, you know, if you eat a healthy vegan diet, that's as healthy as you can get. That's the best diet you can eat. But not all vegan foods are healthy. We all know that a lot of the new processed foods are not healthy, but they're important because because people don't eat healthy, like, and we got to save animals. It would be nice if everybody just decided that they were going to eat totally healthy food from now on. But, you know, we have enough on our plates, so to speak, talking people out of torturing and killing animals without having to talk them into eating healthy for the rest of their lives, because that is seems to be a somewhat lost cause. But, you know, the reason this article thinks this is necessary for vegan food sellers is it because the the task of making bland vegetables or tofu credible substitutes is impossible? I happen to like vegetables and tofu. I'm sorry. But according to this article, instead, they cram them full of unhealthy oils, starch, and other ingredients high in saturated fat, sugar, and salt. I mean, this is implying that, you know, all of the non-vegan foods are just really, really great for you. That's this whole, like, this is a long article. I won't go into all of it. I'll just give you a few treats. While vegan sausages and bacon tend to be lower in fat, than, than, you know, meat-based one, the animal meat-based ones. So that's, that's good. They can contain more salt and sugar than meat options. It, there's a lot of this, they can. Well, anything can. <laughs> like, like if they put more sugar and salt in, then if you can find a brand that they put more in, then yeah, they can contain more sugar and salt than meat options. And often lacking in key vitamins found in the real thing. And of course, you know what vitamins they're talking about. Iron and B12. There is more iron in animal-based products, no doubt about it. But you can get plenty of iron without eating animals. Plenty. B12 is dif different. B12 you can only get from eating animal foods and that's because, or from taking supplements. And the reason you can get it from animal foods is because they supplement the animal feed. <laughs> like you can just take the supplements directly. The only place you can get B12 on the planet that I know of is eating dirt that has bacteria in it that makes B12. And since, and since animals are no longer grazed, you know, that doesn't that doesn't happen. So unless you want to eat dirt, you have to take your supplements or eat, eat dead animals that took their supplements. Unlike meat, the forms of protein you get in vegetable-based foods are low in essential amino acids. Yeah, that that one was put to bed in the first place. Almost all of the you you have to watch your protein. And, you know, a lot of junk foods don't have a lot of good protein or bad protein. But what they're mostly, the difference in protein is mostly in non-essential amino acids. Yeah, animal-based foods have all of the amino acids. Vegetable-based foods only will have the essential amino acids. And look at that word, essential. Those are the ones that we actually have to have. The other ones we can make, just like the animals do. Anyway, I'm getting carried away here. I know. The products are piled with salt to make them taste like the meaty originals. Well, what? <laughs> Meat doesn't. Meat has salt in it because people put salt on it. If they could put the salt in it, I'm sure they would. I think they do do that with chicken, don't they? And the plant-based oils such as coconut and palm can contain high levels of saturated fat. Yeah, they pick the two, <laughs> the two plant-based oils that have saturated fat, whereas all dead animals have saturated fat. It's just such bullshit. Just be honest, you know. I think it's fine to be honest and say there are a hell of a lot of vegan junk food and don't think it's good for you. And most people don't eat junk food because they think it's good for them. Uh, you know, maybe there are some people who do who think if it says vegan on it, that it means it's a health food. I think that those people are limited in their intelligence, but you know, it could happen. And so that should be corrected if that's true, but that ain't what we're talking about here. So yeah, 
yogurts aren't as good, ice cream isn't that good. Oh, one of my favorite. Experts warn that despite vegan branding, plant-based donuts and chocolate offer no extra nutritional benefit. <laughs> what, what a shocker. I heard that a lot of people out there eating vegan donuts as health food. And it doesn't even say that they're worse because, you know, obviously it's hard to make the argument that non-plant-based donuts are good for you. Such nonsense. And that's it for this week's Rising Anxieties. Well, that's it for this week's show. As always, if you like the podcast and if you're able, we invite you to join the flock at ourhenhouse.org slash donate for $10 a month or $100 a year. Or you can make whatever donation you're comfortable with. Another way to support us is to leave us a fabulous review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts or like us on Facebook. You could also leave us a review there or follow us on Twitter or Instagram at Our Hen House. If you shop on Amazon, you can use Amazon Smile using Our Hen House as your favorite charity. And of course, tell your friends about us. If you're one of our listeners who already supports us, thank you so much. And thank you to my co-host, Marianne Sullivan, and to Jen Riley for her work in producing this podcast, to composer Michael Heron for the music. Thanks to Eric Montgomery of the Podcast Haven for his work editing this podcast, and to our production assistant, Jocelyn Martinez, and to Vicki Bichler for her membership and administrative help. We'd also like to give a shout out to the amazing Veronica Kalinska, who designed our brand new logos and other graphics. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode, so don't forget to subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Jasmine Singer. Thank you so much for tuning in. Hold up. 